Vegan Booty Talks. I'm running in. I have so much to say. We're going to be talking about vegans. Six years ago, I became vegan because I got sick. And I think my relationship with food actually deepened when I became vegan. I believe that humans are the top of the food chain. Now, choose now. Hey guys, and welcome to Vegan Booty Talks. I have a guest with me, and today is not just entrepreneur, and it's not just a vegan person, and it's not just as normal athlete is something more interesting. So I'm really excited to introduce you my today guest. She is a helps vegan and ethnical expert, influence and entrepreneurs put their mission, movement and message on the map. So together they can change the world one book at a time. She is a key known speaker, owner of the vegan publisher. The vegan owner tells tell you story publishing imprint and the author of the bestseller the freedom master plan her mission is to amplify the voice of vegans and ethnical leaders globally so the screams to end the explanation of animals humans and the environment will become too loud to be ignored welcome to the show mitali Deipurkai stasha I hope I pronounced your last name right. It's good enough. It's good enough. How are you doing, Aurora? Thank you so much for having me. I'm well. So can you please say your first and last name again? So I just want to make yes. sure it's properly. <laughs> it's Mitali Deperkesta. Deperkesta. I got it. Yeah, I'm I much more easier to be found as the vegan publisher. If you just Google the vegan publisher, you'll find me. You'll you'll have a nightmare trying to spell my surname. So just don't bother doing that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I have a couple of publishers here uh, before in my podcast, but those were people who actually published only their books. So you are doing something different. So before we get to the questions I got for you, could you please, please tell everyone, what do you do and um, where are you from? Okay, so I'm based in the UK. I'm born in the UK. My heritage comes from India and Bangladesh. Um, and I'm the vegan publisher. So I basically help vegan, plant-based or ethical entrepreneurs and experts become professionally published authors. Specifically, there is one reason. It's not just helping anybody wants to write a book. My goal is to create an army of authorities, experts, thought leaders. So so our voices, you know, because you and I, we, we, you know, we can talk about this, but you and I, we, we're already converted. We already know that we need to stop exploiting animals. We need to stop exploiting the planet. We need to stop exploiting other human beings. We just need to stop exploitation in general. We know that. Sadly, the majority of people out there, it's not that they want to exploit. They're just deaf to it. You know, they just got their head in the sands and they're not thinking that all of this bad stuff is happening. And the more that I can put people in a position where they are heard, as in on podcasts, on stages, on TV shows, on radio shows, the more people like us infiltrate those places, the more the average person hears our message and wakes up and realizes they can't carry on with this exploitation unless we have no, we want to die out and have nowhere to live, basically. So I realized a few years ago that writing a book does that. It's kind of like a shortcut to mm -hmm. becoming seen as an authority on a subject or becoming a thought leader. If you think about it, every time you go to a conference or an exhibition or a summit or 
nearly every time the keynote speaker is introduced as author of such and such book <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of like a shortcut everyone just kind of assumes that if you've written a book on a subject you must really know what you're talking about you really are an expert mm-hmm. so that is my goal I help specifically it's entrepreneurs experts people who are doing um, advocates people who are doing something to further the plant-based vegan or ethical movement and making their voices louder because once they become a published author they're taken even more seriously than they were previously yeah I love that idea yes and one of the reasons I also want to write the book because of that, but also I think this amazing chance to actually have something right there available for everyone anytime. So as soon as I post content, it's right there. But we know that social media is a tricky thing. And today we have something and tomorrow, let's say like happen a couple of days and um which country was that? Uh, I think it's it's some South country. They block all the internet right now. I have some friends yeah. right there, right? Yeah. So, and also the internet and controlled by government. And yes. that's what sometimes get tricky with that. So if you write the book and it's rented out, basically you can burn it, right? But most likely it's going to be on a shelf for years and years and years. So that's also amazing to mention, right? If you are, have something like that, like a physical book, this is what stick with you and you can give it to next generations and other people. Really? Yes. And, and it is, is there's something quite magical about books and that people do, like you said, we, we don't really house other kinds of written content. Yeah. But most of it can't be housed because it's electronic content. So how do you how do you house it? And there's so much of it. I think as human beings, we're we're designed to see abundance as something that's well, it's cheap and it's always there. And we don't really pay attention to it. Whereas something that is finite, we kind of look after and go, oh, this is good, this is precious. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at diamonds, I don't even think diamonds are all that pretty. I much prefer like a ruby or a sapphire, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Diamonds are pretty boring in my eyes. And yet, because they're so rare, they're worth more. So it's just how human beings, the, the, the psychology of how our brains are made up. We just do that. And the thing with especially physical books is that you have a finite amount of space in mm-hmm. your home to house them. So if, you, if you've either bought a book or someone's given you a book, you're going to stick it on your shelf. And even if it takes you a year to read, it's always going to be there as a constant reminder of why you bought it or who gave it to you. I've got examples where I've sent a book out to potential clients and they became a client a year later. And one of the things they would say to me is, like, I kept looking at your book. Every time I looked at your bookshelf, your book was staring at me. I'm just thinking, I need to give Natalia a call. I need to write my book with her. So, I, I mean, there's no way a LinkedIn post or a blog post would have that longevity. Yeah, you know, agree. Yeah. Happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's very powerful. I agree with you. Yes. Well, and with this being said, let's step back a little bit in the history and actually... I want to know as well, I'm sure everyone else, how you got to this point, how you actually, first of all, let's start from how you become vegan. Right. Okay. Well, I wish I can show you, but I think she's asleep at the moment. So (laughs) my family acquired a a lovely little stray cat um, in 2009. 
I'll be honest with you, Aurora, I didn't even want a cat. I was just like, I know I love animals, but I don't want animals in my house. They're just going to be fur everywhere. It's going to be smelly and noisy. Yeah. And I don't want this, you know, because mm-hmm. I grew up in a typical Indian household and that we didn't really have pets. Mm-hmm. So I had no, I had no, so there was no sort of concept of having a family dog. You know, we didn't, that was a very British concept. It's not very, really, not a very Indian concept. Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up with any animals and I really, really wasn't sure about having this cat um, in my household. But my little sister who was at school at the time, she kind of just begged me and her mother and then finally relented and we got a, went to the rescue um, shelter and, and got, her a, got her a cat. And within a few weeks, I was just amazed at the level of sentience this little being had. You know, she's very, very aware. She became very aware of the different personalities in the household she knew which member of the family needed her most that day mm-hmm. and who was doing fine. She'd know who had a bad day at work, who'd had a bad day at school. And I was just like, I, I just had no idea. You know, we're, we're kind of led to believe that animals are these dumb things. They don't really know what's yeah. going on. And that allows us to do what we're doing. Because if they're dumb and they don't really know what's going on, then we can eat them we can test on them we, we can do horrible things so because they don't well, know what but this being said no one actually eats the cats since cat right well in this country no but remember but you have to remember in parts of that southeast asia and in china parts of korea they do eat mm-hmm. cats, you know um i think that's another a topic you know when people get really upset in the UK, especially, you know, and they get upset when they hear about, you know, another nationality is eating dog or cat, and then they're eating pig or cow. Yeah. Somehow that's okay. You know, it's like, you do realize that's kind of like a form of racism. What you're saying is the animals that you eat are wrong, but the animals that I eat is okay. I'm like, yeah. I don't know what else to call that, but really, yeah, so I agree with you. That, people don't take that to very kindly when I point that out to them, but there you go. It's the truth. Um, but yeah, I and I realized just watching uh, this cat, Isha, she's called, um, that, you know, I, I was a bit, I was the dumb one. I was a stupid one. It's like, I just believed what I heard, that animals don't really know what's going on. And then the horrifying realization that cats are not even in the top 20 of intelligent animals. Uh, we eat the fifth most intelligent animal, pigs, uh, which are actually more intelligent than dogs. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I can't, I can't do this, you know. And then the more I looked into it, the more I realized it isn't just the meat industry. Um, I realized that if I was reincarnated as a cow, I'd actually much prefer to come back as a beef cow because at least after nine months, my ordeal is done and I'm dead and I can no longer feel anything. A dairy cow goes through the horror of giving birth six, seven, eight times in a lifetime and then killed. That's far worse. Yeah. So that realization that I couldn't even be vegetarian was like, oh God, I have to do the whole thing. So it, it took about, I would say, two years, just over two years. Um, again, I tried to do these stupid things that we all do. I'm sure we've all been through that journey where you you make things okay. So I first did the whole then I'll only buy meat and eggs and dairy from ethical farms or organic farms. And you go down that route. And then you kind of realize that's like having ethical racism or ethical. Yeah. Like, hmm. It's like, a, yeah, oxymoron really, isn't it? So it took about two years until I finally just went, I had to live my truth. And I, very interesting, you know, what you talked about in one of your, uh, your podcasts about, um, 
you know, living your life's purpose and living your truth. And you equated that to Dharma, which mm-hmm. is a Sanskrit Indian principle. And yeah, I guess I found my Dharma two years in, it was around about 2012. And I just thought nothing can t- taste as good as what it feels like to live in your life's purpose. And I haven't looked back since. And now I don't even like the thought of having meat or even in my mouth. Just, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's just it's it's been a decade now so I don't even think I even remember the taste like apart from the fact that I just don't want it in my mouth yeah um, but yeah it's it's been a journey it's definitely been a journey yeah it's interesting the topic I actually discovered a couple of last weeks with some non-vegan friends that a lot of the time they like try something vegan and they say to me oh it tastes just like a chicken you're gonna love it try it and I'm like guys i don't want to be too straight to the point but if it's taste and look like a chicken and if it's not chicken it doesn't mean i'm gonna like it so being vegan fully like really leaving the purpose of plant-based diet is like when you don't really want to replace the meat with something yeah with something that tastes or appear the same way even though no one is killed for that so it's really interesting that you mentioned that as well like you don't really like can imagine yourself eating the chicken and then I know that it's the steps it's not like I was born this way of course when I just became vegan I was trying all those fake meats and sausages and things that we have nowadays which is amazing if you are trying to kind of switch up but if you are fully get into the veganism as the spiritual side of that I think you really don't look into replace with something that our tastes look or smell like real animal you know what I mean yeah I've got I, I think it took me I think for I still do every so often when I've, I'm going out with friends and we've gone to a place and unfortunately a lot of places in the UK that have a few vegan offerings on their menu mm-hmm. the big thing is <laughs> they also have a vegan burger which yeah. is always used to something like impossible burger or beer so I still do or when I'm hungry I need to eat it but you know a lot of times now I've noticed I will opt for something that's just vegan for the sake of it and not really needing to replace it because I guess it's kind of um I'm lucky because I come from an Indian background we've always been um, a nationality that's been able to make vegetables taste amazing anyway you know mm-hmm. a lot of people in in India are accidentally vegetarian and sometimes vegan for mm-hmm. many weeks without even calling themselves vegan um, yeah it's just how it is whereas the UK the west in general I think um is more focused around animal products so therefore it is difficult when you become vegan I'm glad there's there are these you know products available now which certainly there weren't many when I went vegan in 2012 it was 10 years ago it was a very very different landscape yeah um, I don't know what yeah. it was like you know in Hawaii I couldn't tell you but in the UK very different landscape to what it is now well, uh, I don't meet eat from nine years old, so I can imagine. How, you were, how, you were, wow, you were well ahead. You were yeah, well ahead. and I was born and raised in Ukraine, whereas the meat eaters is just like a standard. I was considered yeah. like unhealthy and unnormal child that are not going to grow well. But hopefully yeah. 
Now, people who follow me from my childhood can see that I'm not only well, I'm actually a vegan bodybuilder. So yeah, I don't I die. As well. I think that's the really, I think that is, we've seen the rise of that, I would say in the last three to four years, the rise of female and male vegan bodybuilders, which I think is fantastic. Um, because you guys are really kind of at the forefront of of dispelling that stupid myth that you know where do vegans get their protein from like we're we're just these skinny little things are just gonna blow over the nearest bit of wind that goes past yeah it's like no that really really isn't the case so you're well done for doing what you do I've got a number of um male bodybuilding um friends um who are vegan um Jeff Palmer who I don't know if you know mm-hmm. um, and uh Corinne Sutton and these these amazing men are doing incredible things um because especially from a, a male point of view there's still more female vegans than there are male vegans because mm-hmm. there's still this ridiculous belief it's not their fault they've been brainwashed by animal agriculture but there's still this belief that you know to be manly and to have muscles you need protein and the only way to get protein is through red meat yeah, I know. Without any understanding of like, well, how does the animal get meat? I mean, mm-hmm. sorry, how does the animal get protein? Mm-hmm. How do they get it from plants? So that means you can get from plants too. I mean, when you think it through logically, you realize actually, you know, animals also need protein. They don't just create protein because yeah. if cows could create, could create protein, then why aren't we? We yeah. should be able to. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Well, if we can't create it, they can't create, which means they're getting it from plants. So mm-hmm. why do we have to get it from them when they're getting it from plants? But even I didn't think of that until people started to, vegans uh, that I met started to confront me with some of my beliefs. And mm-hmm. I realized those beliefs are not my beliefs. They've been drip fed into me ever since I was a child. Yeah, that's so, so I interesting. Think they're my beliefs, but they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So how you actually become a publisher? So you switched to the vegan diet, like what you was doing at that time and how the idea to become a publisher and write the book is came to your mind. Um, well, they didn't not at the same time. So I became a vegan in 2012. I didn't actually become a publisher till 2019. So there's a huge a big difference there. There's seven years. So what I was doing at the time was I was a copywriter and ghostwriter. So I wrote sales landing pages emails print adverts online adverts and books as a ghostwriter uh, for lots of different kind of businesses nothing to do with veganism or the plant-based mm-hmm. world or ethics or anything like that um I, I think it's you'll know yourself it's a journey that you go to you go through when you're a vegan the first step is kind of you know that realization I call it like you know, when you, you have the red pill in the matrix and you suddenly wake up and say, oh God, what have I been doing? You know, so then you go down this whole, I'm not going to do anything. And you can be happy in that space for many years. I was, as long as I wasn't contributing to the torture and the pain and the murder, then that was okay. But then the longer you stay in that, you realize, hang on, how is that good enough? If I mean, think about it. If there was if, if, if you were driving somewhere and out of your, your window, you see a woman that's about to be sexually assaulted. Do you just keep driving and go, well, I'm not assaulting her, so it's okay. So yeah. of course you don't. You either stop or at the very least you call the police or you do something. So at some point you realize just abstaining from hurting animals. And you have to remember there's a, a human element as well you know if you look at where these major 
factory farms are, are, are in the UK and also in the US, they're usually right next to communities of colour, communities that are disadvantaged. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's a human cost. It's not just animal life that's affected. Mm-hmm. It's human life that's affected as well. And you suddenly realise that just you not contributing to it is not enough. Just in the same way that you just driving past a woman about to be assaulted and you're just saying, well, I'm not doing it, so it's okay, is not good enough. It's, you know, you you have to do something. So that's when I realized I wanted to get more involved with the movement and actually do something to stop it as opposed to just not contributing to it. So I started to think of different ways of doing it. And I know there's a lot of ethical businesses out there, you know, they could do with, you know, a writer like me. Um, so I started to write content for a number of plant-based, vegan, ethical entrepreneurs. But again, I felt the, I felt my impact was still too small. By that time, I really wanted to make a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. And I realized in, in 2019, I wrote my last book as a ghostwriter. And it took me only six weeks to create. The first book took me 17 months. So you can see the difference. And I just thought, I've got a system now. What if I can teach people my system? And then that way, more people can write books. So that was that. So like the genesis of becoming a publisher. It was realizing that if I do it for people, I'll probably only write maybe three or four books in a year at a push. That's three or four vegan or plant-based or ethical entrepreneurs who have now got more visibility and more authority and and having a bigger impact in the world but if I teach people to write their own books that's more thought leaders you know that was my thinking and Mm -hmm. it's worse right since then I've published 18 authors there's no way in in the last under three years I would have written 18 books myself. You know, I, I need to sleep. I need to have a life, you know. So there's, it just wouldn't have happened. So that's more people out there right now on podcasts, on stages, on TV shows, on radio shows, you know, furthering our movement and talking about what needs to be done than there would be if I was doing it myself. So mm-hmm. that was the idea behind it. It was the idea of how do I, in the quickest time possible, create my army I want to create an army of ethical vegan entrepreneurs who are published authors and they just have huge visibility and they're everywhere just getting a ton of media attention and and they're furthering the cause and the answer was help people write and publish their own books as opposed to me doing it for them it's awesome yes I love that idea it's like me trying to uh, teach people how to be plant-based and do it right for their health as a nutritionist. And I felt like that's my passion. That's what I want to do. Not just talking to people and saying, yeah, I am vegan. I am a freak from nine years old, <laughs> you know, because that's what they think about me when I say them eat meat from nine years old. Right. But I also say, but you know what? I can help you to figure out how to do it on your own. And I can explain you not only because I would be honest, First, and about 90% of the people who are meat and who come to me as a nutritionist are looking to switch to the plant-based diet from their health perspective. Yes. So they have a health problem. So when you drive in this car, as I love your uh, example, and you see some woman being raped and you are kind of like, I'm okay. 
actually, actually. you'll be you're going to be raped just in a couple of years and you never know when it's going to start it if you are keep eating animals products that's what it is nowadays because again you know time goes and things are changing the world and if you ask me 20 years ago, I would maybe not going to say that, but for today, if we're talking especially about America and UK, meat products, dairy products are so, so harming for your health. Unfortunately, yes. they are, yes. even yeah. if you buy organic meats and organic eggs to, you just lying to yourself and you are putting a garbage in your body. That's actually in the end of all of this, give you something back, something bad back, not good. So, yeah, I felt exactly the same as you. So I totally know what you're doing. And this has inspired me to share what you do to many, many people. Oh, so thank you. can you tell if someone like me or whatever, whoever listened to us, I'm sure a lot of people wonder, want to write the book. So what are those steps that you are like help them to go through and how this can look like for someone who are want to work with you? Okay, well, the first step is actually the most important step, and that is figuring out what you're going to do with the book. So there's some people, quite a lot of people, sadly, kind of there's this belief that if you just put a really good book out there, that that in itself will, that's all you need. You know, the world will just magically stop turning and everyone will look <laughs> at you and you'll be famous. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish that was the case, but that doesn't work. I've seen some fantastic books just sat on Amazon. No one's paying them any attention. And I've seen some mediocre books doing incredibly well for their authors because the author is just out there talking about them all the time, you mm-hmm. know? So for that reason, the, the, the main step I would say is, Think about what you want the book to do for you, okay? So I always advise all of my clients are writing a book either in the field that they're already in or they're looking to pivot into a new field and, you know, maybe create a new business in that. But specifically, it is one or the other. Now, the reason why is if you're going to write about something, say, for example, you came to me and you want to write about something that's completely different to what you're doing right now. You know, Mm -hmm. say you just want to write about vegan ethics, nothing to do with your business. You're going to end up spending a lot of time and energy and and some money with me to create a professional book. And then what? Yeah. You know, if you just if you think about it, if if you're just going to sell your book, you have to sell an awful lot of books just to make your money back. Because think about how much you can spend on a book, you know, sorry, how much you can charge for a book, Mm -hmm. for a paperback. And most people grumble after more than $10, maybe up to $15, anything more than that, they're not happy. Electronic downloads, even less, you struggle to get more than $5 because people get very upset. It's a digital download. Why are you charging me so much money? Mm -hmm. So you're now in a high volume business. You have to sell literally thousands and thousands and thousands of units just to make your money back and then make a healthy profit. Whereas if your book is to do with either what you're currently doing or if you're wanting to pivot into a new business, the money is in the back end. So for example, I've made, I think, less than $8,000 in my book in the last two years. 
Mm-hmm. However, I've made over six figures from people reading my book and becoming my clients. Mm-hmm. That's where the money is, not the book. I'm not really bothered. In fact, all the money that I make for the book goes to charity anyway, to an animal charity here in the UK. So I'm not even interested in making money from my book. Can yeah. you see the difference? And that, I would say, is the first key thing to, to look at. What is the book going to be about? Because it needs to be about what you're doing or what you're going to be doing. If it's a completely separate thing, I, I'm not telling you not to do it. If you really, really have a burning desire to write a book on some other subject, go and do it. But do it with your eyes wide open. Be aware that you're going to spend a lot of money self-publishing um, and it may take you several years to make that money back. And you should be OK with that and see it as like, yes, but I just need to do it. And then that's cool. Yeah. But go into it with your eyes wide open. The next step, I would say, is meticulous planning. And the, there's one word that uh, is the best word to describe this mind map mind map your book out there's great software online where you can literally mind map your book out the software that my clients use is a free software called mind42.com so it's mind and then the numbers 42.com and you can make really intricate mind maps my clients will map out their entire book and when I say map out I mean I will not even allow them to start writing their book unless I see at least 300 elements on their mind map Ideally, 400 or more, but at least 300 elements. And when you mind map your book out to such an extent, it means you you bypass all the typical issues that most new authors have, which is they lose their train of thought. They start adding new ideas in and then it doesn't fit with previous ideas. Now they need to rewrite other things. They get lost in their book and they go, I don't know how to end it now. This all comes from not mind mapping your book. All those people did, bless them, because they don't know, is they just created a rough idea of what's going to go into each chapter and they started writing. Mm -hmm. You should be, every single idea, thought should already be mind mapped out before you even start writing. If you do it that way, you literally can't get lost in your book. You can't lose your train of thought because you've done all the thinking already. Now you're just doing the writing. I would say most of my clients, once they mind map their book out, takes them about one to two weeks to write the first draft of their book. And they can't believe it. You know, they're writing 35, 40,000 words. And they say to me, Natalia, I can't believe I've written a book in 10 days. So Mm -hmm. that's because you spent five weeks mind mapping everything out. They're like, oh, my God, it's just such an easy way to write a book, isn't it? It's like, yes, that's what I'm trying to teach the world. It's a, There is a very easy way of writing a book and people don't know about it. They're writing a book the way they read a book. That's what I've realized, Aurora. They, they're writing a book in the same way they read the book. It's like, no, you don't write a book from beginning to end in the way mm-hmm. that you read a book. That's not yeah. a sensible way to write a book. Wow, that's amazing. And then I'm glad you share this free free platform so someone can look and even I'm going to go and look because I actually like no one has ever heard that, but I started, I was trying to <laughs> write my book, but I stuck because I I was feeling overwhelmed. Like I was feeling like I don't know how to put those things in order that I have in mind. So that's amazing source. And it's, I'm you, glad you to share it. for the same trap. It's all that. And then new, I bet new ideas were popping in. You're like, oh, this is a good idea. But how does this fit in with that bit? And it's, it's like a, a horrible jigsaw piece that you can't put together. Yeah. And that's when people exactly. get very overwhelmed. Whereas if yeah. you mind map your book at first, that just won't happen. 
So I love that you share with us how you actually have the system to help anyone to pursue any type of book, which is amazing. But I want to also ask you, like when you write your first book, how you figure out how to put it, as you said, in the world and make attention to that. Because we now know how to write the book and we can, but how to actually pay attention to your book and how you find out that for yourself. Well, when I wrote uh, my first book as an author, The Freedom Mass Fan, that came out, the first edition came out in 2020. Um, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it was a good book to write because my book is all about case studies of mm-hmm. some of my previous clients and what they did with their book. So the whole book, I would say, if you if you don't know how to get visibility for your book, if you don't know how to leverage a book for your business, your brand, your nonprofit, your charity, whatever it is that you've got, and you want more eyeballs on what you're doing, read my book, The Freedom Mastermind, because it's all that's literally what the book is about. It's all case study based of all uh, some of my clients and exactly what they did with their book next, because it's true what, what you do with your book is almost more important than what's inside the book. I said before that, you know, I've seen some really good books doing nothing for their authors, simply because the author either doesn't know how to leverage the book properly, or they're too lazy and they don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've seen some mediocre books, they're not really all that good. But the author's doing incredible things with that book, they really believe in it, and they're really leveraging it. So I, I, when I wrote my uh, book, The Freedom Mass Plan, it was great, because by writing my book, I'd learned exactly what some of my clients had done. Wow. So I just copied what they did. It was everything in my book. And it's quite interesting because now I even have people, like I have people on social media, on my email list, and some of my clients as well. I will do something like, oh, you're doing that thing in the Freedom Master Plan. You're doing that now, aren't you? You're implement. They'll say that. So at the moment I'm putting together a, a membership program and mm-hmm. to help people sort of regularly write. I'm looking to launch it in November. And it's as soon as I started telling people that, I had so many emails like, oh, you're doing one of the passive income assets in the Freedom Master Plan, aren't you? It's like, mm-hmm. well, yes, I wrote it. So mm-hmm. I feel like I should implement what's <laughs> in my book. Otherwise, I'd be a hypocrite, wouldn't I? Um, but yeah, I'm still in the process. I still haven't implemented all the things. There's still so much good advice in my book that even I haven't implemented yet. It's it's to come. It's 2023, 2024, 2025. I've still got several years of implementation to go on. But yeah, it, it is all about getting the book out there. And there is that book will go through specific steps on how to use your book to get media attention and get journalists' attention, how to use your book to uh, sort of almost have all of your social media done for you. And what I tend to find with a lot of my clients is once they've written a book, they've accumulated all this knowledge and put it into a book. They just kind of go, oh, so all my social media posts, I just need to pull things from my book, don't I? It's like, yeah, that's all you do. You can even hire a cheap virtual assistant somewhere and you can just get them to go through the book and disseminate it into lots of long form, short form posts. You can even hire a designer to create some nice images to go for into Instagram with quotes. There's so many things you can do. You have so much content in your book. Why would you not disseminate it as social media content as well? So it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be here for hours if I went through everything in the book. There's so many different strategies. 
Um, but yeah, I would urge anybody if you if you've got a business brand, uh, a nonprofit or charity, and you're just kind of on the fence, you're thinking, I quite like the idea of writing a book, but I don't really know what the hell to do with it once I've got it. Like what how do I get journalists to pay me attention? How do I get to do it to do social media for me? Mm-hmm. How do I get it to attract the best clients or the best sponsors or the best donors? How do I do it? Go and read my book and you'll get all of these real life case studies of my clients and what they did next with their book. That's amazing answer because I was actually about to ask the second question, like what your book about? So you kind of answer them both. That's great. <laughs> and where people can find your book right now? Amazon? Yes, Amazon is, is uh, where it's at now. I'm going to upload it to a new program, a new platform, I should say, called Ingram Spark because I've had a, a couple of um bookstore owners in the UK contact me because I've got that kind of visibility now mm-hmm. and I've been in, in a number of um national uh, magazines so now there's like bookstore owners saying hey we want to feature it in our stores and they won't go bookstore owners by the way never go and buy from Amazon because Amazon is B2C as in business mm-hmm. to customer so mm-hmm. um uh, bookstore owners go to a specific platform called Ingram Spark. So I'll be mm-hmm. uploading my books there. So it should be available in bookstores as well. Uh, but the best place and the cheapest place to get it is just go to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. And I will definitely add all the links in the description below, guys, so you can see and then buy it. I'm sure it's an amazing book. I still didn't read it yet, but I will for sure because I plan to write my book, right? So I definitely need to know how to promote that book. <laughs> so I will, I will do my work. You'd be amazed. You'll love it because especially I've been looking at what you do and how you inspire people. And there's so many ways you can use a book. In fact, too many ways. I'm pretty sure you'll be like me where you'll read my book and then be implementing things for five years from now. You know, yeah. there's so many great ideas that you just can't implement everything together. You gotta, you gotta, you know, that old saying, you gotta walk before you can run. So mm-hmm. I'm still implementing things. There's, I've only implemented maybe a third of what's in my book. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And I want to also know, like, is any of your books are also about animal rights or about veganism, like specifically on those topics, because you write more than one and maybe you have your favorite book that you like to recommend everyone to read. Oh, gosh, I don't know. God, you're asking me to choose between my authors. Like, ask me to choose between my children. It's like, I can't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, but every book is like a child, right? Yeah, it is. You know, my authors, like, I'm proud of every single one of them. And, you know, the, my latest one, Sandra, um, she's doing incredibly well with a book. She's just had a, a full-page spread on Economist, which is one of the leading vegan uh, publications in the UK. Uh, she's doing uh, incredible incredible things and I'm so proud but I'm proud of every single author of mine because I mean the reason why I'm the vegan publisher is I specifically work with people who are really trying to leave the world a better place than they found it now that could be through animal rights that could be through climate change and wanting to protect the environment that could be through social responsibility responsibility corporate responsibility there's lots of different things that don't not all of them are specifically to do with veganism for example a a wonderful um, author of mine amanda redmond she's vegan but her book has got nothing to do with veganism it's all about empowering women to Mm -hmm. get 
paid equally as men because we're still in the UK not being paid equally mm-hmm. uh, to men and mm-hmm. how to how to position yourself and how to get that equality um very powerful stuff I mean I don't know if you mm-hmm. know but in the UK the average woman is retiring with a fifth of the pension part that the average man is wow yeah, yeah. I didn't know that it's crazy now that's okay if you're still married to the same guy but if you've divorced him you're screwed <laughs> you know you're, yeah. you're you're now having a, a lot less your your finances are so tiny compared to your ex-husband's mm-hmm. so it's you know it's it's not always to do with veganism but it's to do with social injustice and because I'm a big believer that veganism isn't just about just animal lives it's looking at injustice everywhere and exploitation everywhere so I'm a big advocate for women not being exploited because we are still exploited compared mm-hmm. to men. We, we do work just as much, if not more than men, and, and then get paid less, which is not fair. I, I, I'm an advocate against exploitation of ethnic minorities. All of these things, to me, come under veganism. You know, it, veganism is in, it's looking after all life and protecting all life from exploitation so anybody that's doing any kind of good that is trying to get rid of some kind of exploitation and want to write a book I'm like come to me <laughs> I will help you out of problem. So I would say go to Amazon you can put in my my publishing imprint is called let's tell you story publishing mm-hmm. if you just put in Amazon let's tell you story publishing you'll see all of my authors and that way you can pick the book that resonates the most to you so if it's mm-hmm. animals there's books on animals, if it's social injustice, if it's finance, if it's personal health, um, the books are there. You can pick one and, and go and get that one. Wow. Wow. That's great. I am so inspired by what you said. I, I never quite a bit, you know, look at the vegans from that perspective, but I think you're absolutely right because I have a lot of discussions with Black people about Black Lives Matter protest with other um, a small culture that feel like they are pushed. I being immigrant from other country and what's going on in Ukraine right now and how we have this yes. crazy war is also related to my style of living. And that's you have to have a strong beliefs in order to try to you know live your life in not the same way as everyone do. And, you know, you, you have to be a strong believer and you have to be brave enough to get out there and, you know, don't be scared to, to actually not only say your thoughts and be the voice, but as you do, be the voice for others. This is so inspiring. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for sharing your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And my... um. Next question was about like what struggle uh, you faced during this um, amazing switch of your career. Maybe something you can share because I'm sure everyone out there want to do what they feel like want to do. Just like we talked with you before, want to leave their dharma, right? Their yeah. life purpose. They maybe feel like, you know, I want to do that too. I want to do what I like, but I feel I gonna face some struggles. So what are maybe, you know, those struggles that you face and how you overcome those? Um, the main struggle for me is, you know, I always say that if you're a, a, a ghostwriter or a copywriter, there's a reason why you chose that profession because you don't want the limelight. You actually mm-hmm. like writing things and giving them to other people and just getting paid. 
and not having to deal with the publicity and and that kind of stuff. So when I became a publisher and I realized, oh, I need to become the face of my brand. I need to get comfortable doing things like this, podcasts and mm-hmm. speaking on stage. I'm speaking at VegFest London in a few weeks' time and I'm speaking three times uh, over the weekend. And, you know, just literally two years ago, I would never have spoken in front of anybody. I wasn't mm-hmm. interested in that. It's not, even this would be traumatic. Just speaking like this with you would be something that I wouldn't be comfortable with. Um, the reason I was able to do on what I am doing right now is that realization that what you said before about Dharma, when you really find your Dharma, when you really find your, your mission and your purpose, you realize that that mission and purpose is bigger than you and you're actually being selfish, getting in the way of your purpose. And that's kind of what made me get over it. You know, so I start to do things to to take steps to get comfortable. So I remember this is in uh, September 2020. So two years ago, almost uh, almost exactly two years ago, I decided um, to force myself to do five lives a week on Facebook. Even mm-hmm. if nobody joined, I didn't care. I'm just going to talk to myself for five minutes every single day, <laughs> Monday to Friday. And I did. Most of the time, no one joined me because no one knew who I was. But it didn't matter. Just to get used to being, you know, having something public that's going out there and getting used to seeing my face on camera and just talking. I just forced myself. And I did that for five months. So five days a week for five months, I did that. To the stage that I started to get really comfortable. Then I started accepting a few podcasts, just from really small podcasts. They only had like, you know, maybe 20 downloads uh, Mm -hmm. a week and that's it. But that was enough for me to start, you know, getting used to someone asking the questions. Because one thing doing a live yourself, you know what you're going to ask yourself, you know what you're going to say. But, you know, when somebody's questioning is you have to kind of think a little bit on your feet. So I started getting used to that. And then I just worked my way up. And then this time last year, I spoke in front of 500 people, which I never would have done before. But within <laughs> a year, I've gone from never speaking in front of anybody to speaking live in front of 500 people. Not because I wanted it for myself, but the realization that I had to get out of my own way because the mission, what I'm trying to do to save humans, to save more animals, is bigger than me and my stupid little pride uh, and my fear and all those things. So I would say if something's holding you back, if you, I mean, definitely anyone who's listening to you, Aurora, they're going to be compassionate people who really care about animals, the environment, other human beings. Instead of asking, instead of telling yourself you can't do this, you should be saying, can you afford not to do this? Mm-hmm. Because the world needs you, really, and needs your voice. So you kind of have to get over yourself. Yeah. Well, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing this. I couldn't imagine you was shine. You seems to be really open, a good speaker right now to me. Lots of people say that. They're just like, you look like you were born to do this. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to show you my very first live. Honestly, Aurora, the very first live I did two years ago, I was so scared, even though no one's going to join me because no one knew who I was. I was just literally going live. I was so scared of just looking at the camera like this directly. I was so scared that I went for a walk at the local park because I thought if I'm walking and speaking, if anyone does join me, they won't expect me to look in the camera all the time because otherwise I'll walk into a lamppost or yeah. a tree. Uh-huh. So I was basically, I can look away and just glance and then look away and then glance. That's all I could cope with. No one even joined me. 
<laughs> That's how scared I was. So this wow. is you can get over whatever is holding you back and making you think you can't do this, you're not good enough. I'm proof. And if any, by the way, if any of your listeners, you know, want to actually see that live, if they t- just send the time to send a note to you, and mm-hmm. I'll send you the picture live, and you can yeah, see of that. course, you can yeah, yeah, send it to how me. terrified I was just yeah. two years ago, two short years ago. Wow, That's we're gonna add it into the description below, guys, <laughs> so you can find it. But I absolutely know what you feel like because I actually it's so funny because I. I'm a professional actress and I don't have any problem to speak in the public, but I was a professional actress in Ukraine, in Ukrainian language. I know Ukrainian and Russian and wasn't a problem for me. I moved to America eight years ago with zero English. And I was struggle with speaking, first of all, at all in English, but then overcome the fear of being judged by your accent and your grammar, your mistakes that you may make because you're not, you know, professional English speaker. And one of those crazy uh, challenges for me was, is when I realized that I want to have a podcast because this is a great platform for a lot of people because I listen to podcasts and I know that people not really see me only here and they have a huge problem with my English and in accent. And then I did the same thing. I just started. I pushed myself to do it. I was like, no, but, but I know that the people listen to podcasts and I know if I'm going to, you know, hold myself from not doing this, uh, I just going to be, you know, I just going to be not truth to myself and to the things I have to do. How many fewer people you'll be able to impact Aurora. You've got an important message, you know, telling people that they're putting poison into their body by having animal products. More people need to hear that. And podcasts are a great way to get that message out. So it's all about, you know, putting your ego and your fear and all that to one side. It's not solving it because a lot of people say, well, how do I get rid of it? It's like, it's not even getting rid of it. I still have imposter syndrome, but I've just put it to one side because I realized the mission is bigger it's than more me. Important. Yeah. The you same know? thing. It's not even getting rid of it. It's all still there. I've got it all in a suitcase waiting for me one yeah. day, but I've just decided I'm not going to deal with it now because what I'm doing, the movement, the vegan movement it needs me and you and people like us more than our ego and our fear and all that kind of stuff. That just yeah. took the suitcase and left for later. Yeah, this is amazing words. I want to point on those guys who listen and then something holds you back from doing that you think you should do. Really do it. <laughs> Don't hold back. And I have a um, last question that I ask everyone on my podcast. I feel like I want to talk to you forever, but we have some timeline. (laughs) Yeah, we have some timeline that we need to follow on. So the last one is going to be what you would do if you know it's going to be your last day on this earth. Oh, my gosh. The last day on earth. Um, well, what I would do, and this is going to sound so boring. I want to say something like, you know, I'll just go and sit you know, on the coast or something like that. But my fear would be that the vegan publisher would wind up. So what I would do is actually, I know exactly who I would hand over the business to. I would show them exactly what needs to do. So the vegan publisher carries on because the vegan publisher is bigger than me. You know, even though I set it up, you know, because I'm vegan and I'm the publisher, but what it needs to do in creating that army of ethical thought leaders, that needs to carry on even if I'm dead. So mm-hmm. I, I know it sounds boring, but I'll probably spend the whole day 
working and making sure the business will carry on without me so it carries on creating thought leaders for the future this not sound boring it sounds amazing it means you love what you do so truly that even in your last day you will keep doing the same thing i think it's amazing <laughs> it needs to go on you know someone's got to do it if i don't do it so it has to go on It's amazing. Okay. And they have a small game that they play with everyone uh, in the end. So we're going to say two things and you should choose one. Okay. Okay. Coffee or tea? Oh, tea. Black or purple? Purple. Gym or outdoor? Outdoor. Beach or mountains? Beach. Juice or smoothie? Juice. Wine or water? Water. Chocolate or sweet cream? Oh, chocolate. Kiss <laughs> or hug? What was the first one? Kiss, kiss or hug? Peas. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Oh, kiss or hug? Oh, hug. Okay. <laughs> Love or sex? Love. Okay, that was it. That was <laughs> That was a short. Well, for me, it can be the same thing sometimes. I would think. So. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> that's the tricky part, and then it's just the tricky part to know you better. But I'm sure people want to know you better. So if anyone want to go and follow you and see what more you're gonna create, how they can find you. Um, my website is the Vegan Publisher. It's quite simple. So just go and find me as the Vegan Publisher, and you can find me on all social media as at Vegan Publisher. So I'm very, very easy to find. Um, if you just put vegan publisher Mitali, like I said, don't bother with the surname because you'll spend loads of time trying to type it out and it's just mm-hmm. not interesting. Um, but if you just put Mitali vegan publisher, you'll find me everywhere. And get in touch, you know, get in touch with book ideas. Even if you have a book idea that doesn't fit, you know, I, I've already said that I mainly work with experts, entrepreneurs, people who have a brand or a nonprofit or a business of some sort. If you've got a book idea that's got nothing to do with that, maybe a children's book or a poetry book, I won't be able to help you with it, but I know quite a lot of people in the publishing industry. So there may mm-hmm. be somebody I can point you to that might be able to help you. So awesome. get in touch with me with your book ideas. Nice. Well, I'll definitely get in touch with you after this podcast and I'm sure a lot of people do too. So thank you so much. All the links and the show notes going to be guys in the description down below. And I really appreciate your fine time for us today. Thank you so much, Milani, for all you said. It's amazing. Thank you for inspiration. Thank you for being such an amazing author and such an amazing publisher. And I'm just waiting to read all the books you already published. And I'm ready to see a new ones as well. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye, guys. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and comment below. And I hope to see you here on the next week. Thank you for joining Vegan Booty Talks.